welcome to the Commercial Real Estate Show, your source for market intelligence, forecasts, and strategies. Hello, I'm Michael Bull. Thanks for joining us wherever you are in the world. Maybe you're watching or listening. Thanks for being with us. Well, today we have an incredible topic for you, and I think it's very timely where we are in the cycle. We're going to talk about financing, and we're going to talk about debt. You know, it's amazing how much impact debt and financing can have on your business if you uh, run a business or on commercial real estate. You know, if you think back at, uh, at the height of the recession or for many years around the recession we just went through, if you operate a business, it was hard to get financing. Uh, and that hurt jobs. You know, that hurt the economy. Uh, that hurt commercial real estate. And, and, and you look at commercial real estate, obviously debt is, is crucial to the acquisition and value. You know, a slight tick in the interest rates and underwriting can impact values. And if it's hard to get financing, then the values of commercial real estate can really be devastated. And then if financing's easy, right, uh, real estate can really benefit from that and the values go up. So financing can be your friend, can also be your enemy. You know, if you look back, there's uh, a lot of the loans are starting to mature that were done 10 years ago uh, that originated in 06, 07, and 08 at the top of the market. So there's expected to be some turmoil and, if how you, depending how you look at it, some opportunities in the debt market. So today we're going to talk about some ideas. If you have loans coming up, uh, or if you're going to be securing loans, or if you look, maybe you're looking to invest in some distressed real estate opportunities. So please welcome my first guest, and it's Clay Westbrook. And Clay wrote this book, Debt and Circuses, Protecting Business Owners from Their Enemies, Their Allies, and Themselves. He's an attorney and a consultant, and he helps businesses and real estate owners with issues that they have with debt and capital disputes. Clay, thanks for being with us. It's great to be here. I'm thrilled. We appreciate you being in Studio One with us. And first of all, uh, explain the title to us, Debt and Circuses. Uh, what's that What's that about? Well, it's a play off of bread and circuses, mm -hmm. sort of towards the end of the Roman Empire, which is sort of where we felt we were in 2009 and 10 and 11, I suppose. Mm -hmm. And uh, I, I chose that title among several because people either really liked it or really didn't like it. And I thought better to be, be remembered. And how about protecting business owners from their enemies? Where does that Well, the book is kind of broken down into three different parts. But the first part is talking about dealing with the emotions that are involved when you're in financial distress. Uh, and also, as an advisor, how to help your clients deal with financial distress. Mm -hmm. When, uh, when a business's cash flow has gotten to the point to where the, the debt payments can no longer be funded, the decisions that somebody makes under that kind of stress are often unwise, and the advice that they get is often unwise as well. Yeah, that's, that's true. We're going to talk about some, some tips there. And then you talk about protecting business owners from their allies and themselves. That's right. The, um, uh, protecting from their allies, that covers most of the second half of the book, and that's dealing uh, with advisors that we had to tend to when we were doing these workouts mm -hmm. through the course of the Great Recession. Primarily lawyers and CPAs, and dealing with them and managing them and seeing them make the same mistakes over and over and giving advice that wasn't necessarily true. And then the second part of the book is protecting against their enemies, and that's simply understanding the different types of creditors between banks and hedge funds and lost share banks, the different types of creditors that we dealt with, 
what their what their pain points were, how they were very different in many ways, and in many ways very similar. Yeah. Well, it's interesting. Even if you're you're listening or you're watching the show, and you don't expect that you'll have any distress issues, that you don't have that much debt, you may want to invest with someone that has a maturity coming up that could use some capital. And also, you want to think about you know, when do you want to plan an exit strategy in a commercial real estate deal? Well, when you acquire it, right? When you get in. So understanding what issues can come up with debt can help you better shop for debt when you're thinking about refinancing or acquiring a property. And, you know, I dealt with a lot of loan workout issues um, with with clients over the last many years as well. And one of the things that uh, was always interesting was the when they started talking to a bank, for example, and the bank said, all right, well, we can't talk to you until we send you over this pre-negotiation agreement. And you uh, you might be signing away some of your rights when you do that. You're usually signing away all of your rights when you okay. do that, be it a forbearance agreement or a pre-negotiation agreement. Mm-hmm. That's, that's a bit of the goal. That's sort of like uh, oftentimes you'll hear or we've heard the stories of our clients who the bank told them, well, we can't talk about your loan default until you bring the loan current on the payments, yeah. and which, is, which is a neat trick. Uh, they can talk to you anytime they want to, and there's no need for a an agreement to that effect. We always advise our clients to be sure that anything that they sign that modified the loan would be in the context of a global settlement of the entire matter, either a restructuring yeah. of the loan or a discounted payoff or a, a refinance at a discount, that sort of thing. Well, let's go back to the pre-negotiation agreement because I've seen some lenders that are afraid of um, lender liability, you know, when we're selling their notes or help them uh, sell properties or do workouts. So um, can you help, can you sign something that releases their, some of their lender liabilities to talk to you about restructuring a loan uh, without giving away some of your rights that you shouldn't in a pre-negotiation agreement? Well, let's just say that those agreements should be carefully considered and negotiated. And you need to make sure that there isn't anything in those documents that's modifying the terms of your loan documents. And um, with experience, I can give good advice on things like that. You definitely Mm -hmm. want to seek the advice of your lawyer before signing anything. But in our experience with uh, over a hundred workouts through the course of the Great Recession, we did not have a client sign a single pre-negotiation agreement or forbearance agreement. And the lenders still talked to you and worked on And things. we still worked out most all of them, yeah. That's interesting. So let's talk about the forbearance agreement. And if you're uh, just tuning the dial around the stations and, and tuned in, a forbearance agreement is an agreement between a lender and a borrower to maybe extend the term or, or do something to, to adjust the original loan uh, documents uh, so that the, they don't foreclose and you, and you keep the loan. But there can be some issues in these forbearance agreements, right, for, for borrowers. Well, in addition to the, the waivers of liability, you have to pay very close attention to what exactly the term of the extension is going to be. Right. It needs to be a term that will enable you, based upon the assumptions that you're making about the local marketplace, to be able to get out of, the, uh, get out of your existing financing in a reasonable time period that doesn't constrict you in terms of how the credit markets are looking at that particular time. Well, that's a good point because I've seen some of these forbearance agreements that are 12 months and you know you're giving away some of your rights in this forbearance agreement as a borrower uh, and you're saying oh, I'll have this worked out in a year and sometimes that's not really reasonable is it? 
Uh, borrowers are always, uh, business owners and entrepreneurs in general, are always more optimistic than they should be. And maybe that's just the former lawyer and me talking. But uh, 12 months is really not enough time to get hardly anything done, uh, especially when the market is in flux like it's going to be when you're in a distressed situation like that. Yeah. And one of the tips I'd give listeners and viewers, and if you're having a, a maturity coming up or you think you might have a default, is to, to really start early, way early in, in contacting them. And, and Clay, how do you get their attention, though? Let's say that you're, you're, you're current on your debt and you're, you have been a good borrower, but you know you've got a maturity. You're going to be upside down. There's going to be a problem. How do you get their attention? Well, it depends on the should time. You stop, should you stop paying, for instance? <laughs> well, stopping paying is, is sometimes the best and only option, mm -hmm. depending on the term of the loan, what, mm -hmm. what remains on the loan. Mm -hmm. um, first of all, if you have the ability to pay, then you should pay. Okay. And uh, we saw a lot of people make tragic mistakes trying to get a deal. And you when, mean the ability to pay with in, inside of that project, right? Not maybe out of your own private assets at times? That's correct. Okay. Um, feeding a loan is almost always a bad idea, being that meaning if you're a personal guarantor and a property is not cash flowing, to continue to add more uh, of your own equity into it in an effort to keep it afloat. That makes sense in certain instances when uh, you have a short time frame between now and the maturity of the loan. It's going to go into default anyway. and that. A maturity default is a more passive default than just simply not paying. Uh, right. It, it really depends right. on a thousand other different facts. Right. But it is a default. And then and the communicating with these lenders can be tricky. So uh, after a short break, we're going to talk about some tips for communicating with your lenders, when to start, how to do it. Stay with us. I'm Michael Bull. This is the Commercial Real Estate Show. We'll be right back. The Commercial Real Estate Show is brought to you by CCIM Institute, Commercial Real Estate's global standard for professional achievement. Visit CCIM.com slash CRE show. That's CCIM.com slash CRE show. Welcome back. I'm Michael Bull, and this is the Commercial Real Estate Show. Today we're talking about debt issues, borrow and lender issues with Clay Westbrook. And Clay, before the break, one of the things with, that we talked about is kind of the differences in communication. It seems like, you know, borrowers, entrepreneurs, business owners kind of think one way and maybe lenders uh, think another. What's, what's the challenge there and how can we overcome that? I was a commercial real estate lawyer for 15 years mm -hmm. and came into the restructuring world with a completely blank slate, uh, not, uh, not understanding really how business owners operate and, and really how banks deal with problem loans. So uh, having looked at it you know, just from a cold start, it occurred to me after a while that neither side understands what the other side is saying because, they, <laughs> because of a different difference in temperament the person who works at the bank or a financial institution or a large hedge fund uh, who used to work at a bank will has a more bureaucratic mindset and it's a large organization that favors process over substance. Make sure that everything on the checklist is satisfied, then we can do a deal. Whereas the entrepreneurs, uh, their business owners, 
and they they're always taking chances. Right? Yeah. Well, they're, they're taking chances. They're not afraid of, of taking chances. They're somewhat conflict averse, but they much more favor substance over process. And so the business owner, the real estate developer, doesn't understand why we can't just get in a room and hammer out a deal. Yeah. Uh, and it's a process of educating the lender as to the true financial situation on the ground because 99 times out of 100 when a loan goes into default the bank has no idea what the financial state of the borrower and the guarantor are even when they're supposed to even when there's regular financial reporting it usually comes as a complete shock that right. the loan is going into default so shaping that communication is the most important part about getting a restructuring done right and because the bureaucracy bureaucracy can say that word you know I think as a borrower and a lot of my borrowers I worked with and even myself as a borrower uh, back in the day when I had a challenge with a lender you, you don't understand as a borrower why won't they you know they've got a maturity default let's say and you're, you're a perfect credit and perfect everything and they won't extend it or maybe you don't even have a maturity default you just have a loan to value issue and you're a perfect borrower and the lender is threatening to foreclose on you you're like what the heck guys don't you have bigger problems but but they're also have their challenges right with their under with their with their boss and and with their regulators that's correct yeah. they'll and, and it also depends on the the history behind the loan when you have a lost share bank situation such as when Wachovia was acquired by Wells Fargo the FDIC's charge to Wells Fargo with respect to all the Wachovia bank loans was liquidate all of them mm -hmm. and furthermore do not attempt to establish a relationship, a business relationship with any of these distressed loans that uh, you're, that we're basically selling to you for pennies on the dollar to try to maximize our return and your return. Yeah. So it really, you have to, in each case, you have to do a lot of research to figure out what strengths, weaknesses, and pressure points a given lender may have yeah. uh, that may enable you to get a deal or in some cases will be a serious impediment to getting a deal. Yeah, that's a real good point. One of the things that we used to do uh, and, and have done in this situation is just check out the strength of the bank and what are they going through? What kind of pressure are they under? You know, what do they have the ability to do and, and not do? And one of the things I was reading in your book that I thought was interesting that I wanted to ask you about this. When should a borrower be uh, afraid of lawsuits and when should they not? When might it be their friend? Well. I don't think that anyone should ever be afraid of lawsuits, but, but almost everyone is, and naturally uh, it's very unfamiliar territory for, for most people, the overwhelming, overwhelming majority of people. But when you're evaluating your options, sometimes a lawsuit is the least bad option. If the only sorts of settlement uh, agreements that the creditor will agree to uh, are going to drive you into bankruptcy, then what choice do you have? then a lawsuit sometimes serves the purpose of simply delaying the process while the lawsuit is pending and during that time period something good might happen. Yeah. Values may recover, a, a, a new equity investor may be found, uh, credit, the uh, underwriting could, uh, could get easier such that you can get a takeout loan it's always better to fight another day and the important thing about uh, being able to fight another day is you can't fight another day unless you have cash in the bank to fight because available cash is what you're going to need 
in order to fund the legal battle. Right. And while the legal battle is unfolding, we can continue to try to communicate with the bank to say, here's the situation on the ground. And I like to say our philosophy is to convince the creditors that one, we're telling them the truth, we're giving them the true picture, and secondly, that we're not going to give up. Yeah, because the lender thinks you're just lying, right? <laughs> they always operate, and rightly so, I think, uh, <laughs> that, under the assumption that you have a duffel bag full of cash <laughs> right. uh, stashed away somewhere uh, to pay the loan. And you're going to have to deal with a lot of high pressure mm -hmm. collections tactics when you get into these situations. and. You have to understand that you're going to be called a scallywag and a reprobate and somebody who doesn't pay their debts, regardless of the situation. And the reason that creditors and collection agencies will do that is because it almost always works. Yeah, right. And that's one thing you have to be ready for if you have a, a problem debt coming up, right, is that uh, they are going to try to work you mentally and you got to be prepared for it. That's right. And yeah. if you're an advisor, you have to mentally prepare your clients for that as well. Right. And when should a borrower uh, consider bankruptcy or, or not consider, or maybe it's some examples of that? Well, I think that it, bankruptcy should be considered in every distress sort of situation. Whether it's an answer or not is in a different matter. Okay. However, when you have a cash flow and property that meets various criteria such that you have a fighting chance of getting a Chapter 11 plan approved, or a settlement to that effect approved, then bankruptcy is on the table. If it's a piece of land or an empty building uh, or a, a pipe farm that generates no income, then bankruptcy's off the table. Yeah. And we never approach these, uh, we approach these from, for the client in terms of keeping them from having to file personal bankruptcy, Chapter 7. Yeah. We've done some personal 11s, but we analyze it from a bankruptcy standpoint to see if that's a viable option. And if it is, we plainly inform the creditors of that fact, and they can either choose to believe us or not. Right, so it's a tool in the, in the negotiation. That's right. right, but it's a very expensive process, yeah. and it's, uh, you, don't, you wanna enter into it at the right time and, and really only as a last resort, because it's gonna be an expensive process to go through the bankruptcy, but in yeah. many cases, it will, about 20% of our cases went into Chapter 11 yeah. and, and all settled before a plan was approved. All right, that's interesting. And I like your tip about, in the book, about getting your advisors together. You know, someone like you that, that consults companies on debt and real estate owners, uh, also your attorney, you know, and have a team that's really familiar with, this, with these issues. Um, Clay, thanks for joining us here in Studio One today. We appreciate you being with us. It was my pleasure. I hope to return someday. Well, and, and, and next, stay with us, we're going to have Ann Hamley, and she's a consultant for CMBS borrowers, so she's a borrower advocate that specializes in CMBS loans, which can sometimes be more difficult to work out than even bank loans. Stay with us. I'm Michael Bull. This is the Commercial Real Estate Show. The Commercial Real Estate Show is brought to you by Bull Realty, commercial real estate asset and occupancy solutions. Call 800-408-2855 or visit bullrealty.com.
Welcome back to the Commercial Real Estate Show. I'm Michael Ball. Today we're talking about debt. We're talking about financing, which can be your friend or your foe when it comes to commercial real estate. Please welcome my next guest. It's Ann Hambley. Ann is CEO of First Service Solutions, and they are the CMBS advocate. So they help borrowers with restructuring, with setting up CMBS loans and requests. You know, sometimes CMBS loans can be a little more difficult to deal with. I think sometimes as borrowers and, and brokers and advisors with CMBS, we're like, what is wrong with these people? Why won't they work with us? Well, now we have an expert to talk to. Ann, thanks for being with us on Skype today. My pleasure, Michael. Thank you for having me. Well, Ann, the first thing I'd like to get your advice on is some tips for borrowers going into CMBS financing because like when you acquire a property you want to plan your exit strategy you know when you acquire it when you acquire debt there's some things that setting up that debt could cause issues down the road what are some tips for borrowers there absolutely there are quite a few these days um CMBS people know it affectionately as 2.0 but it's the CMBS loans that were originated after the crash of 08 really and those loans have been um Really, they've moved in the direction of being more borrower, excuse me, less borrower friendly and more lender friendly. And there are some terms in these loan documents that can be quite, um, I want to say deadly for owners if you don't know they're there. So if you don't mind, I, I want to just go through a few of the hot Excellent. ones, the, the big, big ones that I think cause people the most shock. One is um, uh, the biggest one I think that I find financially anyway is there's late fee language always in loan agreement and the late fee language needs to exclude the balloon payment otherwise so add three words to your loan documents in the late fee language excluding balloon payment otherwise what's happening today and will happen on your loan at exit is if you happen to pay your loan off a day after the maturity date you'll be facing a 5% usually late fee on the whole balance of the loan. So wow. that's an example of, yeah, three simple words and it can save you, you know, on a $30 million deal, it saves you a million and a half dollars later on. So it's, it's, it's really key. Another one is there's provisions in these documents now that the lender at their own discretion for no reason can just reassess the uh, adequacy of your reserves and then just change them on you at any point. Um, so th that's, to me, quite troubling. Um, and, and a third one is um, there's springing lockboxes that, that you'll see often in these loan documents, and I think people are familiar with that generally. But the troubling thing is they're, they're triggered based on a debt service coverage threshold. And that debt service coverage itself is calculated by the lender so or the servicer of course so using market vacancy market uh, management fees market rates for leases they calculate the debt service coverage ratio so even if you're doing really well in your property and they calculate it at a certain point it will trigger cash management and I have worked with a number of owners that have gotten a new loan and even for 2014 that have had their debt service um, fine on their end isn't good when the lender calculates it and all of a sudden now their cash is being managed for no, for, for presumably no reason. So that's another big one. That is a big and one. Probably the, yeah, it is. And it, it, it will hit people by surprise generally if they haven't, of course, heard this. Another big one is 
Um, the securitization industry, of course, is completely dependent on the originator being able to sell the loan and being able to sell it on Wall Street at a predictable price. I mean, that's the whole uh, basis of CMBS lending. So um, in order to, to protect the lender, what they've built into these loan documents is a provision by, where, um, by which they can actually modify the loan proactively on their own um, after origination, but at securitization, so that the loan is more securitizable. <laughs> That's a lot of words there, a lot of big words. But so if you got a loan and you signed the documents and, and you got terms, and two months later they get ready to securitize that loan, and they can get a better execution if your loan just had slightly different terms, you're agreeing proactively in these documents to not only go along with whatever those modifications would be, but to also incur the cost of all the modification to the documents. So that's a, a pretty shocking paragraph that I think most people don't quite know what it even is meaning when they sign it, but it, it has a pretty huge ramifications later on. Yeah, that that's uh, crazy. So you're you're signing a document that says, all right, just change the terms of my loan uh, at your whim. Uh, and some of these other tips are fantastic. And uh, and we're talking with Ann Hambly with CMBS uh, Advocate with First Service Solutions. And I want to ask Ann after the break of the next segment about some restructuring. It's pretty amazing what can happen in restructuring in a CMBS loan and how different it can be than a bank loan. Stay with us. I'm Michael Bull. This is the Commercial Real Estate Show. We'll be right back. Excelligent, the resource professionals like CCIMs, CBRE, JLL, Colliers, and Bull Realty use for market intelligence. Commercial Search is the site to market and find available properties to buy, sell, or lease all over the country. Visit CommercialSearch.com. First Service Solutions, your CMBS borrower advocate. For requests, assumptions, consulting, and restructuring, call First Service Solutions at 817 817- Seven five six seven two two seven. I'm Michael Bull, and this is the Commercial Real Estate Show. Today, we're talking about debt. We're talking about financing. My guess is Ann Hambly. She's CEO of First Service Solutions. They are a CMBS borrower advocate. And, and I think sometimes people get a little frustrated when they have a CMBS loan, and they just don't really know who to talk to, who's in charge, who's making these decisions. What's your advice for us? Well, that's because um, the reason people often don't know where to go is they've been making all their payments on time and performed well over the last you know, nine or ten years on their loan. And when they're performing well, they deal with their master servicer. So um, let's say they're making their payments to Wells Fargo Bank. They, uh, as an owner, tend to think that I pick up the phone and call Wells Fargo Bank and they'll be able to do something for me, maybe extend the loan a little bit, um, maybe waive the, a part of the payoff or or whatever it might be. Master servicer has no authority to do anything other than take your full payoff and maybe offer you a 30 or 60 day window to pay the loan off. But in essence, if you're highly or over leveraged, the master servicer can't do anything for you. So the loan has to get transferred to the special servicer. And there was a time when you would tend to think the special servicer is really the one in charge. And these days the special servicer 
is um, is not generally affiliated with the ultimate decision maker, which is the controlling class bond representative or the lowest level bondholder at that time in a pool. So it's it's really sometimes difficult to find the real owner. Uh, excuse me, find the real decision maker if you're an owner. So that's that's part of what an advocate can kind of help you do for for one. Yeah, that's interesting, and I think some borrowers are are frustrated in it because they they don't understand that why they're not getting good responses that seem logical resp- uh, request, and they're not uh, getting heard. So, how are these decisions made? Who who makes the decisions on these kind of uh, borrower issues? Well, ultimately, again, it's the controlling class representative, and. The dynamics have changed quite a bit today on on these 2006 and seven originated loans that are now you know almost 10 years old. Um, the controlling class representative often is in a very senior bond position. Losses have gone for a lot of the a lot of the pools. They've gone through the non-investment grade bonds. They're in investment grade, and in some cases they're up to an, an A level, originally A level rated bond. So. Decisions are made often more today based on what will happen to the remaining bondholders than than anything else. And it's so different um, for an owner to have to think about those issues. They're thinking about their property, their loan, how to get their loan paid off. And quite honestly, the bond structure is the last thing that owner considers, you know, but that's that's really the decision maker. Right, and that's important so you know how they're going to make these decisions. And one of the things that, that we've come up against when we're helping people in trouble, loans are upside down on a property, uh, and they have a bank loan, uh, is we are interviewing them and saying, hey, are you trying to get out of the trap, or are you also trying to get some cheese? And when they're, and they're dealing with a bank loan and they're upside down, you know, the banks and their regulators don't like to see them get a dime. But we, we realize when we're dealing with CBS loans, that might be a little different. And tell the, the borrowers some, an example, I'm not borrowers, yes, borrowers and, and listeners and viewers, an example of where a CMBS borrower that was upside down did get some cheese, did get some money out of a deal. Well, the, this is where, again, you have to consider that the special servicer and the controlling class representative, their focus is on the bondholders. And these are non-recourse loans for the, you know, almost always. So the, the, their objective, the special servicer and the controlling class representative's objective is to get the most amount of money for the bondholders as possible. So let's take a property, and this was a live example, where it's completely over leveraged. So the value of the property significantly less than the debt. The options available to the CCR or the special servicer was to take over that property, you know, foreclose on the borrower, and turn around and sell that property in the open market and and yet and you know net X, right? Or in this case, the borrower offered them a number that was X plus something. And the borrower actually was able to sell the property to a third party, so it was actually a sale. And the difference between the actual amount we settled with the special servicer on and the sales price was allowed for there to be a slice of cheese or two in the owner's pocket. So it's not, I know it doesn't seem right, and it, I mean it doesn't feel right I guess on the surface, but it was the right thing there for that, that pool of bonds because they got more than they would have ever gotten had the special servicer foreclosed and taken over the property. So it's really a, a whole different set of dynamics in a CMBS deal. 
than a bank deal. Yeah, it really is. And so we're short on the break, but uh, give us an idea of how big you've seen that cheese be for some upside down borrowers who uh, settled a, a short sale, uh, or I guess you wouldn't call it a short sale, uh, negotiated payoff on a CMBS loan. Well, yeah, it's not called a short sale, but it works just like one. And in this case, the, the amount of cheese that went in their pocket was about 15 million on a $40 million loan. <laughs> That's a nice slice of cheese right there. <laughs> you know, and I think uh, some uh, borrowers, listeners, and viewers would would think that, yeah, it's not right, but you got to go through the right process to do it. And, uh, you know, I think it's important that you get the, you know, I think all of us entrepreneurs, all of us real estate people, we think we're so experienced and we know everything. And uh, I've been in it for 35 years and I realize there's experts in what they do, like what you do, Ann. And when we have a situation with a restructuring of CMBS, it's really a good idea to get to an advocate like Ann that can help you do it. And I've got some more questions for Ann. One of the things to help you with CMBS is to invest with someone who is upside down on a CMBS loan. We'll get some tips for investors right after this short message. I'm Michael Bull. This is the Commercial Real Estate Show. Stay with us. Check out Valuate, a real estate analysis program that can be easily shared with colleagues online to do what-if analysis. Visit GetValuate.com. That's GetValuate.com. Welcome back to the Commercial Real Estate Show. I'm Michael Bull. We're speaking with Ann Hambly with First Service Solutions, a CMBS uh, borrower advocate. And we're talking about debt. And one of the things that I think a lot of people are seeing as a potential opportunity is there's a lot of debt that was has a 10-year maturity uh, that was put, originated at the top of the market 06, 07, 08. Uh, and some of these loans are coming due. And a lot of people would like to invest with some of these sponsors who may need some capital. So, Ann, what are some tips for an investor who is looking to do a joint venture recapitalization and get involved with some existing sponsors on these deals that may be upside down? Well, um, let me let me give you, first of all, too, uh, just a perspective here. In 2016, uh, the remainder of this year, there's about $80 billion set uh, to still mature and about 65 to 70% of that, according to Morningstar, one of the rating agencies, uh, will be able to pay off. That leaves, if I'm doing my math right, you know, 30% or so that won't be able to pay off without some infusion of capital. In 2017, the numbers were bigger. It's 103 billion maturing, and they only expect about a 50% payoff rate there. So there's a lot of opportunity here um, some of these borrowers, the way to think about it is in 2006 and 7, um, for the most part, they cashed out. Some of these borrowers have been carrying these properties. Some of them are emotionally tired, I can tell you, uh, capital drained, and just anxious to kind of get, get this over with and are not looking to put more new money in to get to pay off this existing loan. So we're finding many opportunities for investors to, to want to take advantage of these opportunities to just by working with an owner, um, and usually you have to have someone kind of in the middle here. You know, we, we all could, probably your company and my company does things like that. But we um, would connect basically an investor 
with uh, a, a borrower who is pretty much done um, and wants to get out of the property. So there's not only opportunities to just take over the property, but there's also times where the borrower wants to stay in, needs to stay in for tax reasons, um, but is really willing to take kind of a back seat or partner with someone. So we are seeing these loans getting paid off sometimes through a joint venture, um, some, however it's structured, you know, with a new capital partner and an existing owner. And that's how I believe most of these need to be solved, M much better than letting the special servicers uh, get them all back through, you know, foreclosure. Right. And this could be a good alternative for existing sponsor or developer who has a property, maybe it's not leased up, he needs an infusion of capital, uh, to give up some of the uh, uh, partnership to, to this new investor. What's a real quick description of how you've seen some of these put together? Um, we've seen actually the investor maybe coming in and buying the note um, at a discount. So now the investor becomes in essence the new lender, if you will, to the existing ownership. The new investor will um, usually give some kind of uh, good news money uh, to put, you know, to help uh, stabilize the property as you just described. And um, the benefit there is the owner, the current owner has some participation in that on the back end or at least needs to pay the loan off uh, within you know, a couple years. But so there's, that, that's probably the most common way I see it happening today. Um, okay. Or another thing I saw, I've seen is the current owner um, has some money to invest, but not all of it. So he partners in the same manner with a new capital source and together they buy the note out of the um, trust, in essence, they pay the loan off. Okay. And then a partner going forward and thanks for joining us today. We appreciate uh, your insight. As always, Michael, I appreciate the opportunity. And thank you for joining us out there in one of the radio stations around the country. Maybe you're listening on iTunes or the show website or on YouTube. And uh, be sure and join us next week, especially if you lead a business. We're going to talk about office tenant strategies. It will be a good one. Until next week, be sure that you always lead, learn, and laugh. And join us for the Commercial Real Estate Show. The Commercial Real Estate Show is brought to you by Bull Realty Commercial Advisors, a great place to do business. Visit bullrealty.com, CCIM Institute. Enhance your career and deepen your knowledge with Commercial Real Estate's global standard for professional achievement. Visit CCIM.com. Valuate. Easily share what-if analysis online with colleagues. Visit GetValuate.com. Excelligent, the resource professionals use for commercial real estate information. Visit Excelligent.com. That's X-C-E-L-I-G-E-N-T. Commercial Search the source to market and source available properties for sale or lease. Visit commercialsearch.com. First Service Solutions, the CMBS borrower advocate. Visit 1stsss.com. For more information on these great companies or for additional videos, podcasts, or articles, visit CREshow.com.